Welcome to Oh My Lord, Chicago history you never learned in school. I am joined again by David Baxter. How are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm packing up for a little mini trip in the middle of my bigger trip, and I am here, ready to learn Chicago history. Thank you for being here today and for mm -hmm. taking time. I hope you had a great holiday season. Yeah, it was very good. It was. I go to visit my parents in Texas, and I'll go down to Houston to visit some people and drive around Texas and have a breakfast taco or five, and yeah. There you go. All right. So today we are going to talk about Anton Cermak. And he was the guy who won the mayoral election at the end of our last episode we together, did together against William Hale Big Bill Thompson. Okay. And a little note. This timeline is nonlinear. So there's a lot of things happening at once. The way I chunked it together is keep to one plot point. Oh, okay. I was more like, wait, is this guy a time lord? No, there's a lot of things happening. So I went from like one, one, one plot point or one event to the next event. Okay. So he was born May 19th, 1873 in, hung in Austria, Hungary, which is now Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. His family immigrated to the U.S. in eight when he was a year old, mm -hmm. and he grew up in the suburbs, dropping out of high school to work in the coal mines. Dropped out of high school, okay. Yes. And at 16, young Anton moved to Chicago and gained employment as a towboy for a horse-drawn carriage company. What is a towboy? I meant to look that up, and I didn't, but I'm afraid to look it up. Okay. I, I'm imagining they towed things for them. That makes sense, because, like, when you said horse-drawn carriage company, I was like, okay. When you said towboy, I was like, okay. Yeah. This can go a lot of ways. And then he got a job at a stable in Pilsen, which is a neighborhood here. While he was working, he attended night classes and business school. Okay, I didn't know they had night classes back in the, like, late Victorian era. <laughs> they did. I guess when you have child labor and they want to get an education. Yeah, not everybody can graduate to be a radium girl. He saved up enough money to buy his own horse and carriage and started a business initially selling firewood then he expanded into haulage which back then we were doing a lot of landfill projects mm -hmm. so he became okay, yeah we have a couple of those here i believe roosevelt island is a haulage project and in the streeter episode they talked a lot about how they would just haul streeters garbage island Mm -hmm. to what's now Grant Park. And so it was a, a lucrative little extension there. He became politically active and obtained many municipal jobs, including work clerk and bailiff. Moving up in the world. Moving up in the world. And is becoming more politically active, more and more opportunities presented themselves. So he dips into real estate 
banking and insurance. This is starting to sound like some other people or some movies that I've seen, but I don't think it's going to have the same ending. No, but I think it's just a fascinating little glimpse of what was possible in America. Mm -hmm. And then he became the Democratic precinct captain for his ward. And the Democratic precinct captain was a very important position in any given ward because you were the gatekeeper to the aldermen. You gathered up the votes. Was it a little bit like some of the New York stuff where sort of your district leaders were also part of a larger corruption machine? In general, yes. In general, Mm -hmm. yes. We don't get into that. I didn't find anything about his corruption as a Democratic precinct captain, but most of them were. Okay. In 1905, he was elected to the State House of Representatives, 1904. And then he became an alderman of the 12th Ward in 1909. So for whatever reason, for his ambitions, being an alderman was more powerful than being a State House of Representatives. Big fish in a little pond, I would guess. Yeah. And perhaps more lucrative too. I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna pretend that this guy was on the up and up, but right. he served as the alderman from 1909 to 1912, then again from 1919 to 1922. Then he was elected as the president of the Cook County Board of Commissioners and the chair of the County Democratic Party in 1928. Okay. Okay. That same year he was nominated for the US Senate but lost to Otis F. Glenn. And the vote was 54.45% to 44.94%. So not even close. Okay. Then he decides to run for mayor. Like you do. Like you do. Bringing us to 1931. The Great Depression was happening. Voters resented prohibition and Big Bill's behavior. They were also exasperated about the mob violence. Uh, put, put some context, the Valentine Day Massacre was in 1929. Okay. And this is from a Chicago Tribune article. But as Chicago's first foreign-born mayor, he had two things going for him, prohibition and changing demographics. He understood that immigrants wanted a glass of beer after work, just like they had in the old country. Cermak made his position clear five years before Prohibition went into effect. At that time, Chicago had been, since the Great Chicago Fire, really, we'd been experiencing a huge population growth, and it was many different ethnic groups, and they were all politically unhoused at the time. And this includes Czechs, Ukrainians, Lithuanians, Jewish, Polish, and Black people. And they were not organized and therefore not represented at City Hall. Mm -hmm. And Cermak saw the position to create the base. Which was a beer in every stein. A beer in every stein and representation for the unrepresented. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Prior to this, the Irish ran the Democratic Party. And there were two reasons for this. They spoke English, and there were all these other weird little European beefs happening. Mm 
there's a quote that goes like this. A Lithuanian won't vote for a Pole, and a Pole won't vote for a Lithuanian. A German won't vote for either of them, but all three will vote for a Turkey, an Irishman. Okay, that, may, that, that makes sense. And that also explains a thing of... Now, I don't know what a lot of the other demographics go on to, but there was a thing on Twitter recently. I think it was also... No, it was on TikTok. It was white diaspora beef yeah and one of the things that was talking about was that basically how a lot of the irish really dislike irish americans and one person brought it up because they all moved to boston and chicago and became cops yep and that this kind of makes sense in a way when you're saying this they became the leaders and the politicians which kind or like the local leaders or the local they got themselves into the gear house, which then turned them into gears. And it's interesting because when the Irish first came here, they were really discriminated against too. But yeah, it, there was a lot of weird little beefs with the Europeans that I find fascinating, but I'm not going to get into because, mm -hmm. but the party initially rejects his mayoral candidacy. So he goes to former Thompson ally, William Dawson, and convinces him to switch from Republican to Democrat. He's a black politician. Okay. And Dawson went on to be elected to the U.S. House. What I think we're seeing here is where at some point in time there was a shift where the Democratic Party became much more open to mm -hmm. other, I think that's what we're seeing happen here. Okay. In its foundation. Sermon gets endorsed by FDR, and he courts the black and other minority votes, and he wins. He actually got 58% of the vote. Oh, yeah. And this, to tell you kind of the mayor he was, in 1993, Melvin G. Holly from the University of Illinois at Chicago, conducted a survey of historians, political scientists, and urban authorities. They named him the 25th best big city mayor during the years of 1820 to 1993. That's a very specific, but I'm <laughs> assuming broad list. Yeah. So would, would you say he's not, I'm not sure... I'm really sorry for this comparison, folks out there and Chicago, other Chicagoans, but would he be like sort of Chicago's LaGuardia? I don't know a lot about LaGuardia. We've had some really bad mayors, so he'd probably be a good mayor. Yeah, I, I think it's more just like good mayor, relatively famous, did a lot of put put his stamp on the city in the first half of the century basically the thing no oh okay and we'll get to why he didn't put a stamp on the city okay and by the way it's worth noting we have not had a republican mayor in chicago since okay and he declares that the back room deal is done in honor of transparency he creates a weekly radio program to apprise chicagoans of his plans saying quote we need constructive criticism, end quote. And this, according to the Chicago Tribune, inspired FDR's fireside chats. 
Now, from 1931 to 1933, there was a tax strike. Are you familiar with the tax strikes? No, I'm not, but I can assume based on the name, but I'm not familiar with them. So it happened throughout the entire country, and it was a reaction to the Great Depression. And this was the one in Chicago was the largest in the history of the country. It was led by the Association of Real Estate Taxpayers. Okay. Today, we just call them libertarians. Okay, okay. And they engaged in a tax strike. And so they did two things. They adjudicated tax laws. They brought the tax laws to the court and said, we think these are illegal. Okay. And they stopped paying taxes. Gotcha. Yeah. I found an article in Time Magazine written February 29th, 1932, titled Chicago, Worse Than Ever, which is also a tweet I saw last night. Mm. (laughs) I'm not even making that up. The article opens with, quote, we might have to close City Hall end quote, mourned sad mayor Anton Joseph Cermak of Chicago last month when $140 million in back revenue was snatched away from the city by the invalidation of the 1928 to 1929 Cook County tax rules. Last week, Chicago's three-year-old fiscal chaos, fiscal chaos reaching a new graver crisis, the doors of City Hall were never so close to clapping to. Teachers, cops, and firefighters had not been paid in weeks. And this is just at a local level? This is not at a a state or national level? This is just at a local level. Okay. It's not even a county. It might be at a county level, but it's definitely at a local level. So the article goes on to say, Mayor Cermak did the only thing left to him to do. He prepared to dismiss 2,479 city employees, thus saving $7 million. He ordered half of the sewer department and city pipe yards shut down, but that did not supply money to keep the city in operation. To get cash, Mayor Cermak began soliciting loop, loop real estate owners to pay their 1930 taxes, some $34 million, although the 1930 tax rolls are based on the invalid rules of 1928 to 1929. As the mayor, he fired a bunch of people because people weren't paying taxes and then tried to get people to pay their taxes, but based off of faulty information from the year before. Okay. I don't, it doesn't look like he fired them. It says he prepared to fire them. Okay. And the article goes on, quote, not since the Chicago fire, said Mayor Cermak, has the city been confronted with such a disastrous situation. We are the victims of politicians who have placed their self-interest above the acute needs of the people. God help Chicago. He implores Congress to, quote, send money now or militia later. Wow. Yes. In October of 1932 that same year 
SCOTUS declines to hear the case. So the real estate tax group has nowhere left to go. They owe the taxes. Mm -hmm. And according to the Chicago History Encyclopedia, quote, buffeted by political coercion and legal defeats and torn by internal factionalism, the strike collapsed in early 1933. Okay. Sadly, Cermak didn't get to enjoy any of this. In February of 1933, he travels to Bayfront Park in Miami, Florida, so he can meet with FDR, who was a president-elect then, to tell him what Chicago needs. Oh, also, we're getting ready to have a World's Fair. Okay. In 1933. Okay. So he goes to Florida to see president-elect FDR to plead his case. Much like the mayor's going to D.C. to meet with Biden. And while he's shaking hands with FDR, he's shot in the lung by an anarchist named Giuseppe Zangaria, Zangara, who was trying to assassinate Roosevelt. Oh. Oh, wait, is Zangara in Assassins? I don't, I only know, he probably is, but I only mm-hmm. really know the Jody Hinckley. Yeah. And the Charlie Manson, Lynette Squeaky Fromm. Right. He probably is. He was a short little guy, and evidently he was standing on a chair. Mm-hmm. And a woman named Lillian Cross, she hit his arm with her handbag, destroying his aim. Okay. And then four other people had minor injuries, none of whom were FDR. By the way, yes, he is in the musical Assassins. I will have to go watch. I feel like I missed oh. an opportunity. What? Oh, wow. In the original workshop, so like before it went to Broadway, uh, it was done by Michael Jeter. Oh, wow. Yeah. How? Mm-hmm. I'll go check out that song afterwards because now I missed an opportunity. Damn it. Right? Musical I theater know, opportunity. I know. I, know. I just want to make sure. Da, 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 da. It's, it, it, his song is, okay, let's see. A radio broadcast described Zangar's failed attempt to assassinate Roosevelt. He misses Roosevelt and accidentally kills uh, Chicago Mayor Anton Cernak. Five bystanders are interviewed, telling the audience their personal views of events. Then each is convinced that they saved Roosevelt. From an electric chair, Zangara sings his refusal to be afraid and that he hadn't cared who had, whom he had killed as long as it was one of the men who controlled the money. And he's pissed that he has no photographers at his execution and he is electrocuted. Spoiler alert, he is electrocuted. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's fine. We're going to get there in a minute anyway. Yeah. Now, legend has it that at the hospital, Cermak reportedly said to FDR, I'm glad it was me, not you. Okay. But most historians doubt the veracity of this. Yeah, that's a little and um, in, nice. And in fact, in Mayors, Madams, and Mad Men, 
Norman Mark writes, a reporter who was there told Ed Gilbreth, former political columnist for the Chicago Daily News, that, quote, I'm glad it was me instead of you, unquote, was created so the Chicago Herald American could have a good headline. That man insisted to the day he died that a reporter, not Cermak, made up those words. Cermak couldn't be taken to the hospital without saying anything. It just wouldn't make a good story. Yeah, and I guess this is back. We still do it today, but it, the, there was a lot of just, it, it, lo- it looks good in the newsreel. I just wrote fake news. Yeah. Here's the thing. He was not an FDR stamp. He didn't like him. Mm-hmm. However, that quote is etched on his tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he dies 10 days later. Mm-hmm. Just after the inauguration where FDR delivered, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Okay. We have nothing to fear but stray bullets. We have nothing to fear but stray bullets. This is where it gets complicated. Mm-hmm. He didn't die technically from a gunshot. Okay. He died from all he died from colitis. Okay. For decades, he had huh. stomach issues. Huh. Now This is all covered. My source for this, because this is an interesting source, is the NIH. Hmm. Because, well, because it became part of the trials. And they say initially, Cermak's political career was challenged by frequent severe intestinal systems, which were called colitis. The first public report concerning Cermak's health was in 1918, when newspapers reported that he was ill with a severe cold. The press attributed his illness to overwork. On August 18, 1925, Cermak became sick while fishing near Hayward, Wisconsin. He was admitted to a local hospital due to, quote, severe cold with intestinal trouble. He was transferred to St. Anthony's Hospital in Chicago the following day, where his temperature was 104 Fahrenheit. He was diagnosed with influenza infection of the intestine and cared for by Dr. Frank J. Jirka. Jirka. So uh, Frank J. Jirka, Cermak's son-in-law and Carl Meyer, MD, a noted Chicago surgeon. Two days later, his condition worsened and he continued to spike temperatures. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. But his symptoms eventually resolved, and he was discharged without complication. Hmm. So he has a history of stomach issues. What they said was that the gunshot triggered the colitis, the bout of colitis, the stress of the gunshot. Valid. Right. And they go on to say, Cermak spent March 5th getting transfusions and intravenous fluids for worsening heart rate and low blood pressure. But by 12.05 a.m. on March 6th, he was in a coma. Attempts at resurrection included, I'm not going to try to say this word, but parentheses, an arsenic preparation used to fight gangrene. The mayor died at 6.57 a.m. on the morning of March 6th. Okay. This, so it's okay. And they go on to say the Cermak autopsy was attended by nine doctors. The conclusion by the doctors was that the gunshot wound initiated a downhill initiated a downhill course that triggered severe colitis. They stated that the bullet had injured the lung and diaphragm, which caused hemorrhage and cardiac failure, systemic stress. The, tr- the colitis was triggered by systemic stress of the bullet injury. The colitis progressed to ulcerative and toxic colitis, resulting in right colon perforation and gangrene above and below the right diaphragm. That sounds pretty rough. That sounds pretty rough. So they had already held a trial for the shooter, and I think he got 80 years in, in jail. But then they tacked on Mm. execution. Yeah. Here's a little bit about him. And this is from the History Channel. Mm. Mira later claimed, I don't hate Mr. Roosevelt personally. I hate all officials and anyone who is rich. He told the FBI that chronic stomach pain led to his action. My stomach hurt. I wanted to make even with the capitalist by kill the president. My stomach hurt long time. So it seems there was a, I don't know, a, a mystical joining of these two. So like the, the wands with two cores in Harry Potter, only it seems to be intestinal lining disorders. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's some, there's themes that are just you're like, whoa, okay. Yeah. He was executed on March 30th. 1933 mm-hmm. and which is days after yeah this is what he said on his execution day now he was an italian immigrant so i'm not going to do an italian accent but i'm just going to read it as it was written mm-hmm. you give me electric chair i know afraid of that chair you want a capitalist you is crooked man too put me in electric chair i know care Get the hell out of here, you son of a bitch. That was said to the chaplain. Okay. 
I go sit down all by myself. Viva Italia. Goodbye to all poor people everywhere. Lousy capitalist. No picture. Capitalist. No one here to take my picture. All capitalists. Lousy bunch of crooks. Go ahead. Push the button. I'm having a hard time not imagining all of this being done by Chris Pratt as Mario. <laughs> sounds like push the button. Yeah, push the button. There's later, and I didn't get into him a lot, but there's later theories that he, we might have executed a very unwell man. Okay. He, he, I, I wouldn't be surprised, especially with the, my st- intestinal issues made me want to kill the president. Yeah. My stomach hurt. I just wanted to kill a rich person. Mm-hmm. Our story doesn't end here, though. Okay. In Chicago, some people, instead of debating who shot JFK, they debate who was the intended mark of the FDR attempted assassination. Okay. And people say that Cermak was the intended target. Now, I found an article written by a current Indiana resident and blogger named John Cass, who formerly worked at the Chicago Tribune, and he's interviewing briber and racketeer Ed Burke in 2013. Or, as we like to say, 10 years before the latter was found guilty on 13 of 14 of his corruption charges. I hope the contempt for both men oozed in that introduction. Yes. Yes. And the Chicago listeners will under... So this John Cass wrote for the Tribune, and he's just gone full MAGA, and he writes about Chicago and how corrupt Chicago is, but he took a buyout, basically retired, and moved to Indiana. The article is titled, Cermak's Death Offers Lessons in Chicago Way. So the Hoosier state taxpayer writes, Burke is the council historian when it comes to Chicago politics. He knows where the bodies are buried. And he believes, as do I, that the outfit killed Cermak to send a message. Many historians say that a crazed and short-statured anti-capitalist assassin from Italy stood on a wobbly chair aimed at President Franklin Roosevelt in Miami and missed, hitting Cermak. And then we're going to quote Burke. Maybe the Chumbalones, John, believe that it was not a Chicago mob hit, Burke said. But most of the people who've examined the facts surrounding it would believe that Anton Cermak met his untimely demise at the hands of Frank Nitty and the Chicago mob. So mob boss retaliation? So we're going to, I'll explain this all to you in a little bit. So what had happened is Al Capone's in jail. Nitty came back and he was Al Capone's enforcer. I don't want, it's a whole story for a different time, but he, he might've been taken over for, for Al Capone. The thought was that he was in, in position to do that because he was the enforcer. But I want to say two things before we even engage in what happened here. If the mob wanted to kill Cermak, they could have done it in Chicago. Yeah. And two, 
I feel like the shooter wouldn't have missed their mark. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think and- they would be able to hire somebody better than like a <laughs> than this patsy. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. I think if you really want to kill the mayor, you would make sure you get it done. But it's worth noting, one of the first people to float this theory is Walter Winchell. Do you know anything about Winchell? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but I can't, I can't recall anything. He was a news and gossip columnist. The Sweet Smell Success. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The John Lithgow character, I yeah. refer to the musical because I actually wrote the script under the poster for the pre-Broadway. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's how I know him. But I've also, he was, I mean, man, like, very, like, complicated. I'm not going to get into it, but he was very pro-McCarthyism, very anti-communism. Mm-hmm. He was a Tucker Carlson of the day. Right. And in fact, I found this, and I'm going to include this because on April 4th, 1954, he started his radio and television show saying, good morning, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Attention, everyone. In a few moments, I'll report on a new polio vaccine claimed to be a polio cure. It may be a killer. So I just know that's been around for a while. Oh, this whole theory that the mob wanted to kill Cermak stems from another assassination attempt. On this guy or someone else? On someone else. Okay. So, I'm going to read a quote, and then I'm going to break it down and clarify everything. And this is from Mayors, Madams, and Madmen. For instance, in December 1932, Frank, the enforcer Nitty, was shot by a member of Cermak's personal police detail. The detective was wounded in the finger while Nitty was shot three times. Some police said Nitty was unarmed at the time of the shooting. Others testified to Cermak's deadly fear of assassination. The detective who fired the shot said that Cermak, quote, planned to stop all gangster operations during the 1933 World's Fair. The detective even threatened, it was said, to blow the lid off Chicago politics. He was found guilty of assault, but was given a new trial, which was never held. I'm going to break this down for you, what happened here. And I'm just going to say this crime has Jesse Smollett levels of planning and incompetency. Mm -hmm. They go in. They shoot Nitty. They shoot one of the cops in the finger to make it look like it was self-defense. The finger? That's what the the detective was wounded in the finger. They shot his hand. Okay. And to make it look like it was self-defense. Now, this could possibly work had Nitty died, but he doesn't. Mm -hmm. In April, of, he goes on trial for the shooting of Officer Harry Lang. And Officer Chris Callahan testified that Nitty was, quote, there was only one gun fired up there. Lang must have shot himself. Huh. Okay. All right. Lang took the stand and pled the fifth. 
Okay. Nitty's found not guilty. Now, Lang gets charged with assault, and he's fired from his job as a police. But then a new trial was granted, and then the charges disappeared because Nitty never showed up at the court to be a witness. Hmm. And this is because apparently Lang threatened, and the quote is, I will blow the lid off Chicago politics and wreck the Democratic Party if I serve one day in jail. Then there was more, I'm just going to paraphrase this part, that the cops took money from the Irish mobster to kill Nitty, and then they did it in front of Cermak. Okay. So this is what leads to the speculation that the mob ordered the hit. Mm. And Cass goes on to write, after Cermak was shot in Miami, the papers made it look like he heroically took a bullet for the president. Chicago mourned, and the city council renamed 22nd Street as Cermak Road. Okay, so he got, okay. He's got a road, and it's worth noting, after he died, no mayor ever dared publicly condemn the outfit. The Chicago outfit, the mob. He did leave a pretty, in his short time as mayor, a pretty remarkable legacy. As the party boss, he got Henry Horner, who was Illinois' first Jewish governor. He got him elected. He cut into the Irish control at City Hall. For example, in 1926, there were 12 judges nominated and eight of them were Irish. In 1930, there were 14 judges nominated, and five of them were Irish. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. He organized the wet boat and helped end prohibition. Like at a nation level or just yeah. in? Okay, wow. That's one of the things they said. He doesn't get a lot of credit for it, but yeah. Because he had FDR. Yeah. This is from Mayors, Madams, and Madmen. He helped create the Democratic Party of Chicago, something he isn't usually given credit for, by bringing together various ethnic groups and making sure they got a piece of the action. He didn't inconvenience local gangsters, but then few Chicago mayors before or after Cermak have done much about the problem. He sought power, got it, through infinite knowledge of the city's political organization and then lost it because of a madman in Miami. Hmm. So any thoughts from you? No, that's just, I won't say it's a short life, but it's a very, he still died young, but it seems like there was, I, I don't know. I, we, we've, I guess like I'm a little bit baffled because we've seen so many not good people on this uh -huh. that we've talked about that this is a little bit, Trying to hard to get my hand around. Actually, no, he did some good stuff. Yeah. He wasn't terrible. He helped break up some of the the bad things that were going on, and then he got shot, and that led to him dying. And, mm -hmm. and I think it's... Here's the way I like the story. So first of all, you see the shifting of the political parties. Mm-hmm. And then there's so many things that are... You can see... like. I, History isn't repeating itself. It's rhyming. Mm -hmm. You've got the threat of the government shutdown. 
MAGA level stupid crimes. Mm -hmm. All these criminals, like, how can two cops go in and try to kill someone and not get it done? You've got cops framing people. And then you've just got this whole conspiracy theory that it's it's just, it's got the story, even though it's not like he's not a bad person, the story just has so much in such a short period of time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's it's a lot for someone that didn't live as long as, yeah. 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 And And it is one of those people are never, when it comes to the theory, no one is ever going to be able to prove one way or another mm-hmm. if it was the mob or a crazy anarchist with stomach issues. And there will never and there will never be compelling evidence. I find it also fascinating that the NIH like hosted as thorough details about this guy's health issues. Mm-hmm. And we can't get a full non-redacted JFK. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right anything else for you that is yeah that's a lot yeah it was the shorter episode with so much happening in it but mm-hmm. but it was also a, a, now you understand why i said we're, we're going in a, a non-linear way oh yeah because i gotta build the story thank you so much for joining me and listeners You're welcome. thank you listeners i appreciate you hit the subscribe button with more precision than either of the assassination attempts we talked about today and leave a five-star review as if you were a journalist making up a quote. Yeah, do that. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.